Welcome to yet another episode of Game of Thrones Abridged, in which we speed through the Game of Thrones books at the speed of light itself. Uh, uh, are we a particle? Are we a wave? You don't know. You can't. You can't see me, John Cena, which is a physics joke, because because C is the it's the speed of. Okay, so t- so today, tonight, on this very moment, we're reading the second Jon Snow chapter in Game of Thrones. We've got our second double dip into the pot of flavor that is Jon Snow, and it's a fairly uh, somber flavor as these chapter flavors go, because Jon Snow is, as noted, a bit of a moper, a bit of a downer, but a good guy nonetheless. you got to respect that. Uh, so anyway, Jon, he's climbing some steps and he's feeling a bit sad about it, because Jon Snow, he could do anything and feel sad about it. He could have a cup of yogurt and feel sad about it. Uh, he could go down a water slide and feel sad about it. He could take a take a cruise to to Gummy Bear Village. He'd find a way to feel sad about it. That's the kind of kid that Jon Snow is. He is morose. The most morose. Quite morose is Jon Snow. Anyway, so he's climbing some steps and he's reflecting on the fact that this might be the last time that he comes here, that he climbs these particular steps, because Jon is about to leave Winterfell and go to the Night's Watch, and he's a bit, he's a bit sad about that, a bit down. Uh, so he climbs, he does his thing, uh, and, um, and he's going to visit Bran, Jon is going to visit his little brother, his little half-brother, his little cousin, Bran Stark, who has fallen from the tower, uh, and he sort of put this off for a while, because to go visit Bran, he would have to go, uh, into the room with Catelyn Stark. Catelyn Stark has been by Bran's bedside ever since he fell from the tower for close to a fortnight. It's been like 14 days that Bran has been bedridden, and Catelyn has stayed by his side the whole time, which is, of course, a great testament to the love Catelyn has for Bran. But as we soon find out, Cat does not have the same love for Jon Snow that she has for her son Bran. Uh, So Bran comes in, uh, and Catelyn's like, what are you, what are you doing there? I told you to leave. And she's not emotional, she's flat. She's, she's robotic, she's empty, she's clearly in a great deal of pain, and probably sleep deprivation and a great, great number of things. Uh, but, 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 but she's numb, is what she seems. Uh, but she is, is, she sort of tries to get John to leave. But John's like, no, I've, I, I'm going to the wall, this is my last chance to say goodbye to Bran. So he comes in. Uh, and we and we get a description of Bran, uh, which is fairly gnarly. I would I would say quite like not quite gnarly because of course in the show uh, we see Bran bedridden and he just looks the same, just this sort of slightly plump young boy sitting in a bed all neatly like. Uh, but the description in the books is is less than neatly like. Uh, we talk about how the flesh has gone from him, and his skin is stretched over bones like sticks, and his legs are bent in sickening ways. He's got sunken eyes like black pits. He seems shrunken, well, as though the first strong wind would carry him off to his grave. Uh, 
Which makes the whole thing quite a lot more emotionally impactful, I think, to see how this kid has been ruined by his injuries. Um, of course, I suppose if to do that in the show, they would have needed, you know, CGI and all sorts of Benjamin Button type shit, which we don't, you know. we There's a time and a place for the Button. Uh, and episode two of Game of Thrones is not it. Uh, so anyway, Bran's looking a tad unwell. Uh, and and so John comes to say goodbye, uh, and he expresses a lot of emotion. He cries at the sight of Bran looking like this, and and he talks about how all the Stark kids are so ha- looking forward to Bran waking up, and he's very emotional, very sad. Um, but Catelyn is watching unhappily. Um, but 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 John says goodbye. He he kisses his brother lightly on the lips. Uh, I suppose that's a thing, a nice little brotherly pash. Uh, a bit metrosexual up here in the north, I guess. Uh, and uh, But Catelyn is watching. And Catelyn sort of talks, sort of half to herself, but Catelyn talks about how, about how originally the plan was for Bran to go south with Robert and Ned and the rest. Bran was to go to King's Landing, and Catelyn was so sad about that. Catelyn desperately wanted Bran to remain... At Winterfell with her, so she prayed to her gods in the gods, which she prayed to the old gods for Bran to stay at Winterfell instead of going south with the rest. And it was, and and in a horrific, twisted way, her prayers were answered. Bran fell from the tower and was crippled, and is now the ruin that he is. And so, in this fucked up way, her prayers were answered. Which is not only like this cruel irony, but it's also a bit of a taste, a bit of a hint of what the sort of flavor of magic and prayer and prophecy is in this series. Prophecies often do come true. Predictions and wishes and curses and blessings often come true, but often in ways not intended uh, by the originator of said prophecy, curse, blessing, or hope. Uh, so, so yeah, not only is prophecy a tricky business, just merely wishing for something is a tricky business, because at the slightest opportunity, George... George Martin will fuck you uh, if he takes the slightest chink in the arm or the slightest opportunity to find a way to twist your words and stick them up your ass. George Martin will find a way. There is a will, and he'll find a way. Uh, the the point was, m- magic and prophecy and hope is, is tricksy. It's quite a tricksy hobbit. Uh, but the point is, so Catelyn is in a great deal of grief and pain and guilt, uh, and John sort of tries to comfort Catelyn, and Catelyn looks at him with eyes full of poison and says she needs none of your absolution, bastard. So Catelyn is really, really unpleasant and cruel to John. She says, as he leaves, it should have been you, implying it should have been you, John, who fell from the tower and suffered and might die. Callan is hateful, horrifically hateful towards John. Um, and of course, on one level, this is perhaps an expression of grief. This is an outlet of emotion for Catelyn. This, this, um, but, 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 but also, there is certainly a realness to her hatred of John, because as we learned in prior chapters, Catelyn feels a great deal of resentment to John's presence in Winterfell because of the way it reminds her 
of uh, Ned Stark's supposed infidelity uh, by fathering John. Though, of course, you've got to wonder if perhaps that enmity should be rerouted at the person who actually committed the supposed crime, Ned Stark. It's not John's fucking fault that he was born a bastard. It's not John's fault that he lives at Winterfell. So, yeah, Catelyn's not super reasonable, but the human heart is perhaps sometimes not reasonable. Anyway, um, so Catelyn's really mean <laughs> to John, and John sort of just sort of stoically takes it like a champ, uh, and it just says that he walks down to the yard. Uh, so he doesn't mope about that. He doesn't sort of reflect on how horrible that is, which, you know, in a way is even more sort of impactful and awful, because it shows that this is kind of par for the course with him and Catelyn, you know? He's, 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 he's just sort of taking it. He just he doesn't even bother to feel the pain at the kind of rejection and hate that's directed at him by the closest thing to a mother figure in his life. Like, so yeah, I mean, perhaps uh, John's moroseness, his morosity, is perhaps justified to some extent by some of the unpleasantness that is directed towards him. Uh, um... So he heads out to the yard and he bumps into Rob. Um, and John notes that Rob seems to have grown lately. He seems to have become stronger after Bran's fall and Catelyn's collapse. And it mentions that Grey Wind's at his side. So we, so we start to hint at the, at, at the sudden, the quick growth and character building and learning and experience that, that Rob Stark, the elder Stark, is going through. Uh, and of course he needs to grow up quick. Uh, in order to become more of a leader with Ned Stark going to the south and and Rob growing up to be the heir to Winterfell and all that. Um, He needs to grow up fast, and he does, though perhaps not fast enough in the end. Uh, But yeah, so Rob and Jon sort of have this farewell conversation, um, and they sort of have, have this really good rapport. Uh, they have a good relationship, Rob and John, which is which is really nice because you could easily imagine this being a very resentful, unpleasant relationship. John being the bastard, and Rob being the totally socially accepted, praised, groomed uh, heir to Winterfell. But they're really good to each other, which is I, I think a testament to the character of both Rob and John. Um, uh, and then Rob makes a portentous comment about how Starks are hard to kill, or John makes a comment which is proven wrong by the events of the rest of the series, perhaps. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're very good to each other, but there is a, a heavy emphasis on the difference between them, that John is a Snow and Rob is a Stark. John is a bastard, Rob is Trueborn. And they acknowledge that to one another. Uh, Rob says, farewell, Stark. And John says... and. Rob says, and you, Snow, or whichever other way around makes sense. So there's that division between them, but they're good to each other. Uh, and John has one more farewell to make before he leaves Winterfell forever. Well, not forever, but but leaves Winterfell to join the Night's Watch. Um, he wants to go say bye to Arya. Um, notice he doesn't say farewell to Sansa or Rickon, as far as we know. Maybe earlier, but there you go. Those relationships clearly not as important to John. Uh, as Rob and Bran and Arya. Uh, and so John heads off to Arya, uh, and and Arya is packing up. This happens in the show as well. Arya is packing her things to leave Winterfell, and Nymeria the direwolf is helping, carrying things around for Arya. They're clearly very smart in the least, these direwolves. 
Um, and so they hug and they're, they're really lovely to each other because Arya and John, of course, have this wonderful close relationship. Um, and of course, we again have uh, acknowledgement of the whole sort of Arya is not very ladylike thing and Septim Ordain is cross with her because she didn't fold her things neatly and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's hard not to side with Arya on this one. She says, oh, all your things are going to get messed up anyway. Why bother folding them? And in light of the sort of political, conflictorial, crazy-ass shit that goes down pretty soon, folding clothes is perhaps not the most important of priorities. Um, but John gives Arya a farewell present. She gives Arya an, a, a sharp little thin, narrow sword. And John's like, don't fucking cut yourself, this is a real deal sword McGee, this is sharp, it's sharp enough to shave with, and Aya says, girls don't shave, which is like sort of a flippant comment, but it also again sort of emphasises this gender thing, this gender thing that stops Aya from doing some of the things that she wants to do. Uh, and yeah, so Micken, the, the the forge guy made it, and and John talks about you should train with it, uh, stick it with the pointy end, they say, and so Aya's really excited and happy to have this sword, this weapon, um, and, and, and John encourages Aya to, yeah, train and practice and make yourself strong. Make yourself strong, which is indeed something that Aya does. Although you got to wonder, like, I mean, Aya making herself strong uh, is also something that comes along with a lot of pain and alienation and dehumanization for Aya, which is... Well, it makes you question whether making yourself strong is wholly the best thing for Aya, I suppose. Uh, John, I mean, John also goes through an arc of making himself stronger. Stronger as a leader, stronger as a fighter, stronger as a survivor, and that also gets him in rather a lot of hot water, or in this case, in a lot of pointy knives, or in this case, in a lot of pointy knives in him, specifically. Anyway... Uh, so Arya and John have this beautiful sort of bonding moment, this farewell moment, um, and I and I was like, oh, you know, I want to see you again. How long is it going to be? And John makes this comment about how different roads can sometimes lead to the same castle. Perhaps I'll see you again, that sort of thing, which uh, makes a lot of people suspect that Arya and John will indeed see each other again, maybe at Castle Black or at Winterfell. Um, that'll presumably happen in the show next season. Who knows? Um, but hopefully John and I will be reunited in some way. Though, of course, when they do, both of them will have changed rather a lot. Aya has become a fucking Frey-slaying ninja assassin, ninja Gaiden 2-type chick, uh, whereas John has become a, a, a zombie. Uh, so how that, how that reunion will turn out remains to be seen. Um, personally, I like the idea. I, th I think it's unlikely, admittedly, but I like the idea of Arya being sent to assassinate Jon Snow in disguise, and them having a confrontation where Arya has this internal struggle of, like, should I assassinate this, this guy who's, like, the person who I have, the, the last person left who I have a close relationship with, could I bring myself to kill him? But yeah, no, I, I don't suppose that'll actually happen. Uh, but yeah, they hug and they farewell and they name the sword Needle. And the memory of the laughter warms John on the long ride north. So this is, you know, maybe not the most consequential chapter. Um, there's not a lot of plot movement here or anything. Uh, but we establish a lot of John's relationships. His, his relationship with Cat, which is no less than toxic... His relationship with Rob, which is quite positive. His relationship with Aya, 
which is quite heartwarming and clearly very important to John and Aya both, uh, which only adds more tragedy to the deaths of of everyone in the later series. Well, I mean, Aya's still alive, but Rob dies and Catelyn dies too. There is, it has been said, rather a lot of death in this particular series. And this episode two of Altshrift X has come to its death. A short lifespan of 20 minutes, from birth to middle age to elderly times. This episode is now retired. It's sitting back in a rocking chair in some nursing home, playing Connect Fall with some Alzheimer-ridden person, and it's kind of depressing, but also kind of positive, because you know, the episode, the episode lived a good life. I hope you think so anyway. Thank you for watching this particular episode of Game of Thrones Abridged, and we'll see you again when the next episode comes around. Cheers.